Welcome to the FGC Experience. I'm Brandon McIntyre. This is the very first FGC podcast. We want to have these podcasts to highlight the amazing people and things we do on our campus. Make sure to subscribe to this and every future podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. For this first episode, we're going to talk about study abroad at Florida Gateway College, and we have two guests. The first guest is Dr. Michael Baker, professor of English here. He is also the guru of our study abroad program. We are also happy to be joined by Carly Rollerson, a current FGC student who participated in the 2023 summer program. Welcome. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. All right, so we have some different things that I want to talk about in today's episode to try to tell people a little bit about study abroad overall and then really go into the awesome things we do with our own program. So, Dr. Baker, what does study abroad involve? Well, mainly what study abroad is, um, is you take a couple of classes here at FGC, so you get credit towards your degree program. Um, and the way we do it is it's during the second half of the summer. So it's a six-week course uh, for two classes. But three of those weeks, we're going to uh, leave Florida Gateway College, and we're going to go over to the United Kingdom and live for two weeks at Harleyson College um, and one week in London. So it's a six-week program over summer. So that kind of goes with how most study abroad programs nationwide are. Almost all of them are what are called short-term programs, which are eight weeks or fewer. So that certainly fits the mold. Awesome. So what are the benefits of study abroad? Well, there are a lot of different types of benefits. And um, when I've researched this, uh, it seems like most um, scholars kind of put it into three categories. And the first one would be your uh, personal benefits. Um, students who study abroad come back and they report things like feeling more self-confident, um, uh, adaptable and flexible, things like that. We could ask Carly later what she, uh, what she experienced. Um, the second thing, of course, would be academic. Uh, there are studies, of course, correlation does not equal causation, but there, there are studies and, and surveys that indicate that people who study abroad um, have higher GPAs, they graduate at a higher rate, they actually go to graduate school at a higher rate. Um, so there seem to be a lot of academic benefits. Uh, and then there's the kind of like the professional or the career. Um, number one, apparently study abroad alumni actually uh, in their first job post-graduation average about $7,000 more per year. <laughs> and um, when you think of just how many uh, corporations and companies these days are global, uh, you know, if you work for Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble or some law firms, um, they will have you know, uh, headquarters and other or offices and other um, uh, countries as well. I guess those would probably be the three main things: is the is the personal, the academic, and the career uh, or professional benefits. So it's really interesting. So you know, you imagine that you're an applicant for a job, right? And especially if you're fresh out of school, to be able to add that you studied abroad and that you'd experienced culture in life in a foreign country 
that that probably means like the hiring manager has something that he or she might want to speak with you about, right? That separates you from the top. And I think the key is that cross-cultural immersion, right? So when you're there, you're not only learning about yourself and your current culture, but you're also learning about the host country's culture and you're developing this cross-cultural mindset, you know, where you're a different person when you come back because you've experienced things that are so different. The analogy I always give is imagine that you read that it's 130 degrees in Death Valley, right? Okay, that's cool. But getting out of a car and sitting there for an hour in 130 degree heat is a completely different thing and it gives you a whole new appreciation for it, right? So when I look at it, that's kind of how, and we're going to talk about your experiences here in a few minutes and you're going to relate to that. In fact, we're going to start right now. Why did you want to study abroad? What motivated you to participate in our program? So I actually uh, did not attend any of the interest meetings. I didn't see any flyers. Um, I never actually came on campus before studying abroad, but I was scrolling through my Canvas courses one day online and I noticed that there was a study abroad opportunity. And at the time I was a senior in high school, so I did not think it was open to me. And I opened the Canvas course and was just gonna give a look at it. And once I realized that you had to be 18 by a certain time period and that I would be 18 by that time period, I immediately texted my mom and I was like, uh, this is a huge opportunity and I'd love to go. And my mom actually leads study abroads because she works at UF. And so she knew how important and significant this would be for me. So she was very supportive for that. Um, but I really wanted to go to check another country off my bucket list and to get a few credits out of the way. I knew that this would give me an opportunity to meet other students before coming onto campus. And it definitely helped me build some relationships. Awesome. So you had a familial contact to really describe the importance of learning other cultures and being abroad. See, when I studied abroad, I didn't have that opportunity. My parents had traveled just a little bit, but really for me, it was an opportunity to go to a different school after being in a state school for a year. And I decided I wanted to transfer but transferring to another institution would have been very difficult. Whereas study abroad, I essentially am transferring to a, a foreign country's school for a year or two, then go back and I finish my degree. And that's what I did. So my motivators were completely different. Dr. Baker, what were your motivators when you studied abroad in Russia? Wow. Um, number one, that's going back quite a long ways. Um, but I just wanted the adventure, you know, the uh, exploring a different country and, you know, reading history books, reading uh, literature from other places, that's one thing. But as you were saying earlier, to actually go there and and see these things, you see the castles and to go on these hikes to these, you know, mountains or whatever. um, It's just a, it's, it's a very different thing. And it's, it's awesome. You know, you really can't describe being someplace that you've seen in uh, photos or something. And these days, has this happened to you yet, Carly, where you've seen uh, like a movie or a television show or something, you're like, hey, I was there. Oh, absolutely. There's a show on Amazon Prime uh, called Victoria. 
and the uh, college that we stayed at was actually featured in an episode. So when we came home, I watched the entire series. And in that one episode, I saw the carriages pull up. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, I've been there. And I actually, when we went to Oxford, I had looked up on TikTok a few recommendations. And uh, there were several places that were filmed for Harry Potter. So I made sure to mark those locations. And when we visited those, I took a few cute pictures, put them on Instagram, didn't think very much of it. And people were so jealous and excited that I was at Harry Potter filming locations. But ever since coming home, I have watched every Harry Potter movie at least three times. And I will look back on them and say, hey, I've been there. That's amazing. I have a similar experience just this last year. My wife and I, for spring break, we ended up going to Italy for a week. And that was her first time ever outside the U.S. or Mexico. And it's the first time that I had been abroad since I taught English overseas like 15 years ago. And we were in Rome for a few days. My wife loves Hallmark movies, and it's painful, right? But the Citizen Kane of Hallmark movies is called Christmas in Rome. So when we got back, my wife was adamant that we watch a Christmas movie in April. We did, and half of the filming places she had been to, and it gave us a chance to relive those memories, which was really cool. And you had that same experience when you did the Harry Potter watching and relating and thinking about your time at Harlex did it. You're going to want to keep doing things like that so it doesn't go away. Oh, yeah. Um, so after studying abroad, how have you changed? Like Dr. Baker mentioned that one of the major things is you develop a different mindset. Even though it was only three weeks, how do you feel you've changed? Uh, the culture over in England is different than our culture, but not different enough that there's a huge culture shock. So obviously they drive on the other side of the road than we do, and getting used to that is a little weird. Uh, so I didn't necessarily feel different because of the culture, but just being around the students that I was with for those three weeks, um, as I mentioned before, I had never stepped foot onto FGC campus before the study abroad, and all of my classes that I enrolled were online. So I was able to meet new students, but during that time, I also learned how to adapt to other people's mindset with things. And so uh, at my high school, I grew up where a lot of people around me had a similar mindset and had similar views, but going into college, it's different. And you're coming, you're meeting people from different backgrounds and different cultures, even in a small group. So studying abroad with this group, I was able to build friendships, build relationships, but also adapt and respect other people's mindset and beliefs. So you mentioned the driving on the other side of the road. Did you ever get to an intersection where you need to cross the street and we are trained, you look left, then you look right. But if you do that, the traffic's backwards there, you have to look right, then look left. Did that confuse you at all when you were doing that? Not as much as you would think. Uh, on the roads, they actually have painted look right or look left. Yeah. And so I look both ways anyways, just to make sure. But just out of habit, I'd look both ways. And whichever I looked first was where I looked. <laughs> one time in uh, one of my previous uh, trips to London, 
I almost got killed because of that very thing, because, you know, I'm looking left and suddenly this car goes zooming right by me at like three feet away. Um, so yeah, that's happened to me, but I was very pleased with, uh, what Carly mentioned, uh, today, it seems like almost every street in London's like, look left, look right. You know, they, they tell you which direction to look and it's like, well, that's very helpful. It'll, it'll keep me alive. Oh, that's, that's so important. I remember when I rode one of those red double decker buses and I sat on the, the top level on the right hand side. And every time the bus would turn, I thought we were about to get in an accident because it's backwards and I felt like we were about to drive right into somebody, but we never did. So that is from a, a London perspective is definitely one of those really quirky things. And do you know the history behind why they do that and they drive on the other side? Uh, not particularly, no. Um... What one of my friends uh, had mentioned, and I, I think this is true and it makes sense, right? Is during the medieval times, whenever they would have like a duel you know, and they had like the lances and the swords and, and they'd cross and they'd try to stab each other that, you know, almost everybody's right-handed. So they're holding their weapons with their right hands and they're crossing this way. And so I'm supposing that horses turn into automobiles at some point. It makes sense. It does make sense. That's so that's, that's what I, I believe is the reason, which is really cool. So let's transition this to actually about FGC study abroad in Harlixton. So tell us about the FGC study abroad, but let's start with the location. Where is study abroad at FGC taking place? All right. The first thing we do is we spend the first two weeks at Harlixton College, which is a gorgeous place. Um, if you're a student at FGC, just go ahead and go onto Canvas. You should have access to a little study abroad portal on Canvas, um, and you'll be able to see some photos. Otherwise, just Google Harlixton College. Um, gorgeous place. It's a 19th century Victorian manor house. Construction started around 1832 or so. I think it lasted for like 10 or 15 years. Um, it's a really hodgepodge of styles. Um, Gregory Gregory is a guy who built the place. Um, That's quite a name. It is quite the name. Uh, but he, it's, um, he liked different styles, and so there's like some Gothic influence and Baroque and Jacko, Eliz Jacko Bethan, I think it's like the Jacobian and Elizabethan styles kind of like meshed together or something. Um, it's just this really, you know, every room it seems like is a different style. Um, but so it sounds a little bit beyond something you'd see on House Hunters. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, about 150 rooms. It sits on uh, three about 300 acres. Uh, they have like a little wood uh, wooded walking trail in the back and they've got usually like some sort of agricultural products, either wheat or beans or something planted in the front, like 100 acres or something. Uh, it's just a really gorgeous um, location. So the first time you got to Harlixton, Carly, did they just drive you right to the door? I'm imagining with this type of manor that there's a driveway that's about the size of five football fields. How is that entrance and how was it that first time you actually entered the manor? They actually have a mile-long driveway Ooh. that is very fun to walk. Um, That's 16 football fields, I think. Yes. So the bus drove up, and uh, Dr. Baker was yelling from the front, everyone look, everyone look, and some people were asleep, so we had to wake a few people up. But we all jumped up, and we were looking in the front window, and it was just, it was amazing. It was, un it was an unbelievable view. Like, 
like you had mentioned before, we see pictures and we're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But to actually experience it was just something so different. And the bus pulled right up around to the front door and we unloaded all of our stuff. And at this point, we were all exhausted. We had just gotten off the plane. We hadn't slept in 24 hours. It was it was an experience, but the view was amazing. So how long was that plane ride? The plane ride was about eight hours on the way there. About eight hours, 20 minutes. But um, we're coming from Lake City. You have to wake up. You have to get ready. You have to drive down to Orlando. Of course, you got to get there like at minimum three hours early for an international flight. You know, then there's an eight and eight hour and 20 minute flight. Then there's getting out of the airport. You got to go through customs. There's about a two and a half hour bus ride to Harlixton. I mean, so I told students to expect probably 18 to 22 hours from your front door to Harlixton's front door. And she's right. We were we were all really exhausted. So you sat down for two and a half hours to get to Orlando. Then you pretty much sit down either at the gate or on the plane for the next 11 hours. You're up on your feet a little bit to go through customs and get your bags, but then you're sitting down another three hours. So the mile walk wouldn't have been good at that point? No? Not when we were exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been tough. Luckily, the bus did drop us off right at the front door. So how was the weather when you're there? Because obviously when we think of summer in Lake City, it's like a cauldron, right? So how was it? The weather was amazing. I tell people it's a lot like Florida in the fall. So you wake up and it's super cool outside. It's really crisp and it's in the mid to low 60s. But by the afternoon, you're in the low 70s and it's still cool, but it's not super hot. And it was just really nice weather. So if Mark Twain lived in Harlixton, England, he would have said that the coldest winter was a summer in Harlixton instead of San Francisco. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Literally in July, the average high was about 75 degrees. It was wonderful. That is just perfect. Was there a breeze? Is Harlixton located near water where you get some of those winds? Um, Not big water. They have like a lake on the on, on the campus, I guess we should we should call it. Um, and there's like some creeks that, that are nearby, but there's no big body of water. But there's still usually a bit of a breeze, yeah. So Harlixton, you said, is this big manor with 150 rooms on 300 acres. How big's the town? The Well, Harlixton is just outside a city called Grantham. And Grantham, I would compare to maybe Stark, Florida. It was smaller. It had a few small businesses and but you were still able to run some errands or do what you needed to but just outside of Harlixton is the Harlixton village and the village was originally purposed for any servants or maids or anyone that was working in the manor so those houses were still there and they were sold to individuals and families lived there Uh, and so the village was a lot smaller there wasn't as much of a grocery store or anything like that, but they did have a post office at least. And they had a village hall where they would meet, but in the village, there wasn't anything specific. So it sounds like maybe two, 3,000 people? Um, not even in Harlixen Village. I mean, we're probably talking about a hundred, 200 or whatever. I mean, it's a very small village. There is a village store that honestly, I don't think I've ever seen open. 
I never saw it open either. That's where the post office was. <laughs> so they're not looking to make a lot of money at that store, apparently. Apparently not. So can you tell us more about the format? You went about it briefly, how it's a summer B6, yeah. but go through some of the logistics with the classes and how the academics go into the whole experience. Okay, um, our program is in the in the what we call the B6 term of summer. It's the second half of summer. Uh, you do take two classes, so you get six credits here at Florida Gateway. It's taught by Florida Gateway professors. Uh, in summer 2024, um, there will be uh, Drawing One is uh, one of the classes, and then Introduction to Literature, LIT 2000, which is actually one of the Gen Ed Humanities uh, courses that you can take. Um, so in that case, you know, I mean, You'll get a uh, gen ed class out of the way. You'll get another uh, elective class that you can take. Um, and what we do is we do one week of class here on FGC's campus. Then we do three weeks abroad, uh, first two weeks at Harlexon, last week in London. And then we come back and we have two more weeks for um, to wrap up classes uh, here at FGC. And so that's that's in the nutshell is what this program's about. When you were at Harlixton, did you room with somebody else or did you have a room by yourself? I was roomed with somebody else. The carriage house is what they call it. It's set up a lot like dorm rooms and some rooms could host up to four people. Some rooms hosted just two. And so I was roomed with one other person. So it sounds kind of like hostels with the smaller rooms where you could have four bunks or two bunks or... Like a almost like just like a normal dorm room where you're in individuals. Probably a little bit more like a normal dorm room. Um, it, it's a step up from a from at least the um, uh, hostels that I've been in. <laughs> so it was definitely a step up from that. But uh, but yeah, I mean typical dorm rooms. What was it like? So did you normally go to school for four or five hours a day, and then you had the rest of the day to explore the manor? Like, what was a typical day at school like during those two weeks in Arlington? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give the official answer, and then you can tell us uh, some, of the, some of your stuff from the student perspective. Um, the way the program is set up is that Mondays and Wednesdays are usually class days, uh, and we have classes in the morning up until about lunchtime, uh, and then students do have the afternoons free. Uh, and then Tuesday, Thursdays are excursion days. And so those are our official excursions. We'll go to places like uh, Oxford or York or Lincoln, um, places like that. Uh, and then um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we give students, you know, free weekend. Um, and we let students do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, they, they can go on unofficial excursions on the weekend. And Carly was one of the ones who went on a very special weekend uh, excursion. Do you want to tell us about that one? I can. That specific excursion, uh, I took a few people to Paris, and we took a train out of York to straight to the airport, and we hopped on a plane and took a flight over to Paris, and that was another exhausting travel day. But we got to our Airbnb around just after midnight, and the next day we got up bright and early and did everything you can do in one day in Paris. We saw the Palace of Versailles, we saw the Louvre, we saw the Eiffel Tower, and the city doesn't seem that big because it's only five miles wide, but the traffic is insane. So we spent plenty of our travel expenses on 
Ubers and taxis and just trying to get around the city. And we still walked, I believe, 18 miles that day. Wow. But we saw a lot of views and we didn't really eat much food that day. We were busy seeing all the views. <laughs> but it, um, yeah. Man. So that's a great experience to be able to do that. Um, I could only imagine how long a day could be when there's so many things to do in a place and you almost have to pick the greatest hits, right? Did you actually go inside the Louvre or did you not? We did actually go inside the Louvre and we had not had dinner yet, so we did not spend very much time in there. We got our picture of Mona Lisa and we just kind of walked very quickly through it. But we did get to see another painting that was in our textbook, so we make, made sure to stop by, take a picture of that to send to our professor. So what was your impressions of seeing the Mona Lisa? Did you have this idea that it was going to be this big old painting and it, it's about like that big? I, I I had expected it to be small. I had seen pictures before. Uh, it was exactly how it looks on Google, so it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't super extravagant or anything, but... What's What was crazy about it is they have a queue line that you are supposed to stand in to get to the main part where you take pictures of the painting. But once the queue line ends, it's just a big mob in a like big square where people are standing. So we kind of just waited our turn to scoot to the front and get our picture super quickly. And then about the time that our group had gotten to the front to take a picture, they were letting in some other people that had exclusive access to walk out in front of us and they stood right dead center to get their pictures and they took their time and then they finally left and we waited a good five to ten minutes just waiting on them to leave so we could get our pictures but there were lots of other kids too and uh, I remember hearing a conversation of a parent who was aggravated with all the people and they're aggravated that they couldn't get to the front to get their picture and they're child had looked at them and said mom just be patient everyone wants a picture too and i was just like oh that was so sweet yeah it's it's almost like when you get to those type of events and if you have a little bit of time that you essentially pay a tourism company to get to the front line you know that's what a lot of people do and and that makes it easier uh, Dr. Baker, what are the excursions that students will go on in this upcoming study abroad opportunity? I believe we have six official excursions this time. Uh, we are going to Leicester, the city of Leeds, which we've never been to. You know, the um, previous two study abroad programs, we haven't been to Leeds yet. So we're going to Leicester, we're going to Leeds, we're going to London. So basically everything with an L? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right. Um, we're doing uh, Oxford, Cambridge. And one other place. York? York. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing York again. Um, we did that for the first time in 2023, and the students seem to enjoy it. So we are going back. What's your personal best memory of an excursion so far in the times that you've led these programs? Hmm. Actually, and this is why I would encourage students to take advantage of the free weekends, um, some of my favorites have been unofficial excursions. Uh, in 2019, a few students and I went to a place called Lud's Church, which is in the southern part of the Peaks District. Um, and it's basically a chasm. Um, and it, it was just a beautiful, it was a beautiful hike to get there. It was a beautiful place. Uh, this year, um, my co-leader, Lisa Coe, and I 
and a couple other students went to a, a place called Thor's Cave, which is also in the southern part of the Peak District, and it was a hike to get there. And then when we once we got into the cave and we were wandering around there a bit, we were able to go on top of the mountain and get a panoramic view of the area. And so interestingly enough, I've really enjoyed kind of the non-city um, excursions that have been a little bit of a, um, uh, you know, something that students, you know, and I got together and said, eh, let's go check this place out. That's awesome. Yeah. There's nothing like those places off the beaten path where you see or experience something that's not in all the books, right? Yeah. That you experience something unique. Like when you're in Paris, maybe you went to a local cafe and you had a croissant or something and it was just incredible and it's a memory that you have. I can say like the during that Rome trip for us, we had about three hours to burn before we had to catch train. And we decided we wanted to go to the Coliseum once more. And there is a coffee shop right across the street from there. And we got so lucky that one of the outdoor tables opened right when we got there. So we sat, had a cappuccino, and just stared at this amazing building for a couple hours. And we never anticipated going back. We never anticipated having a coffee there. It just sort of happened. And that's one of our best memories. And so like your adventure or your day in Paris, it just sort of worked out that way, right? So if you were to tell any current FGC student why they should study abroad or at least consider it, what's your sales pitch? There are so many reasons why, but I will start with the personal growth that you get out of it. I was coming right out of high school and I was going to be away from my mom for three solid weeks. And I was honestly very nervous going into it because I was going to, I knew I would be in a completely different country. I would be halfway across the world from my mom and I was very nervous about it. But after a few days, I was loving being there and having the friendships that I, that I had. Um, after those three weeks, I did not want to come home. I loved being over there. And it did not feel like I was halfway across the world from my mom because she was just a text or a FaceTime away. So I learned a little bit of independence. I learned how to comprehend and understand the maps around London and the best places to go and how to do the com the conversion on your bank account. And uh, we did a lot of Venmoing and cash apping each other. One thing that they do differently over there is they do not split the check, no matter how big your group is. So we had to do all the math separately, and then one person would put on their card, and we'd pay each other back. But um, With interest or without interest? <laughs> without interest. Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, but... If someone were to come ask me, like, I don't, I don't know if I should do this or, I mean, it's, it's an amazing opportunity and you're earning college credits while you're over there. You're with the professors 24 seven. So you can ask almost any time, Hey, I need up with this assignment or, Hey, can you review this for me? But you're also getting to experience parts of the world that you may not be able to experience on your own or, I mean, whenever, um, so you think about like how fortunate 
students are today to be able to study abroad. You know, when I went 20 years ago, almost now, I had to buy a, a, a pay, pay phone card, right, that I could spend 20 or 30 euros on and I'd get maybe 10 minutes of a collect call. And then toward the end, they finally started coming out with some sort of basic webcam service, but certainly no cell phones or texting or anything like that. The world is so connected nowadays that for those individuals who are afraid to go three weeks without seeing family, you know, that's a lot easier nowadays because you can FaceTime every night, you can text constantly, and that connection never goes away. Whereas I had a planned call with my parents on Sunday night. Um, I'm from Las Vegas originally, so it was always when the NFL game started at 10 o'clock in the morning because it was seven o'clock in Spain. It was a nine hour time difference. So that was the time where I always knew my dad and mom were going to be at the house because my dad always watched the morning games on Sundays and my mom would always be with him. So we had a planned call each week. But beyond that, I never talked to them because you couldn't do that. So that's really a great thing for students interested um, to do that. So Dr. Baker, what recommendations and advice would you give to students who didn't have the travel experience Carly had? Because we have a lot of our students who might have only traveled to Georgia, who've never been on an airplane before, mm -hmm. and that's scary stuff. So what would you say to those individuals on how they can get past those fears to be able to take advantage of this type of opportunity? I would say just do it. Just sign up, just go. We've had multiple students who had never flown on a plane, had never ridden a train before, had never been on a public transportation bus before. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch students grow, you know, and to, and to see them get used to things and, and suddenly to be able to uh, be like, oh, well, I mean, I, I can fly on a plane. I mean, I've, I've done it for eight hours and 20 minutes. You know, I, I think I can fly to New York City. Um, you know, and so I do think that if you, if you take that, you know, risk, you know, you're, you're in a group. You're in a group um, with people you know, because even if you don't know people very well um, on the program, we have like four orientation meetings uh, before we actually leave. We have, you know, at least a week, sometimes two weeks of class before we leave. Um, and then you've got a couple of adults there, you know, uh, you, you, there are two program leads, two professors. So, you know, it's, it's kind of taking a risk with a limited, up, limited downside to that risk, you know, because, you know, you've got a, you've got a safety net. Um, you know, it's, it, you got a community with you. You've got, you know, FGC behind you. If there, you know, if anything goes wrong, uh, you know, FGC's, you know, the, your, your, um, uh, what is it? The umbrella health insurance type stuff. Uh, there's, there's things that if anything goes wrong, you've got an organization behind you that can help make things right as quickly as possible. You've got people right there that you know who care about you because you're talking about the friendships that you made. And in my experience, whenever you're in a group like that, uh, you really kind of adopt each other's family for that period of time. <laughs> and, you know, you interact more as family than you do as you know, either strangers or even just friends. Um, so I would say go for it, do it, uh, and you will probably end up, 
enjoying it. It's totally true. Um, when I studied abroad, my first time overseas, I had three roommates. I went to two of their weddings and the third one I saw two years ago. So you do build those friendships and you become family in the way because you understand and have experienced something that your parents and your friends here in the States don't understand. Right. I mean, as, as much as you want to, they can watch the Harlixton Manor video on Harry Potter or the Victorian series, but they don't have that connection, right? And it's so unique. It's like in research, you have like phenomenological studies, right? Where people who experience a unique thing, like being struck by lightning, yes. right? That nobody else understands it. And so few people do. Fewer than 2% of students every year study abroad because it's hard. It's tough to make a financial commitment and to make that emotional commitment, knowing that you're leaving your family, knowing that you're going into a place unknown, a lot of times in a foreign language, which is what my experience was, it's hard. But you know what? The return of investment is incredible. What would you like to add to that? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the, the family. Oh, yes. I was going to say that um, I had never traveled internationally by myself before. So I know I've traveled by myself to a different state, but I know traveling internationally brings a whole new set of steps as far as customs and your passport and everything like that. So luckily I did have my mom to back me up on the pre-planned part, but it was definitely a blessing to have a group of students who some of them had never been on a plane before and some that had traveled internationally before and adults as well and the professors that were able to help us, okay, hey, this is where we're going next or hey, this is our gate, so let's all meet here. And it was a lot easier to travel internationally with Real quick, let me add that um, by the time we got to London, Carly was amazing. <laughs> it was it was awesome. There was a there was a couple times I was just like, "Well, Carly, we're going to the British Museum. Do you want to take the lead?" And she would boom, boom, boom. I mean, she knew exactly how to get around in London of all places. I mean, if she goes to New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles or Dallas or I mean, she's going to be comfortable because she now she now knows how to navigate a big city. So. Yeah. What a great experience coming from a smaller town, right? To be able to do that because it's a unique and different thing. Like you'd mentioned learning how to read and function in the underground, the metro station, knowing how bus lines work because they're different. All of that stuff of public transport, it's very unique. So uh, Dr. Baker, what is the application process how can an fgc student study abroad what do they need to do well the first thing to do is probably to um go on canvas uh and or to the fgc study abroad page on the website uh there you can get a lot of information um but as far as an application goes uh there are there's a application form to fill out and uh, in that form, one of the things you'll need to do is write a 500-word essay. Don't worry. It's a very simple prompt, something along the lines of, why do you want to study abroad? 
Um, you will need two letters of recommendation. One needs to be from a FGC professor or instructor, um, but the other one can be from another FGC instructor. It can be from a high school teacher. It could be from a um, mentor or church leader or, you know, the second one is wide open, um, just no family members. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there is an application fee of $50, and that will actually apply to the uh, program fee. Uh, so it's not like something that's on top of anything else. But So you really want them to take those steps because, as we said, this is difficult. This requires maturity, and you want to make sure that the interested candidates are mentally ready to take that step, right? Yes. And one of the reasons we do have the $50 application fees because, you know, instead of just anybody and everybody who thinks, oh, that sounds fun, you know, and then the, the admissions committee has to read, you know, 200 uh, applications or whatever, you know, that $50 shows that you got a little bit of skin in the game that you're really, truly interested in this. Um, and so, yeah, it's, we're not trying to get an extra 50 bucks out of you. It literally does apply towards the program fee. <laughs> Strong arming 50 bucks. That would be kind of <laughs> crazy, right? So that's a good point. Um, what are the requirements that students have to study? So can it, is it open to anybody or? It, um, the main things that we need is you do need to be 18 years old, which is uh, something that Carly talked about earlier. Uh, there are different regulations and stuff with traveling with minors and so it's just easier to say 18 and older um we ask that you have a 2.5 gpa after the spring semester um exceptions can be made so if you do have lower than that it's worth at least talking to us about that um those are the main requirements of course you do have to sign up and you uh, have to take the two classes the six credits um in that i mean we're geared towards a current students. Um, we have had some students, uh, kind of like returning students, people who have, you know, already have a degree or whatever. And they're like, can I sign up and take the classes? And we're like, well, I mean, we're an open, open enrollment type college. So yeah. Right. Um, and so we have had a former employee here, um, who retired from FGC a few years back and she's gone on the program before. Um, you know, and so obviously a non-traditional student in that sense, but, um, so we're open to that, but you do have to take the classes and you have to give a good solid effort at them. <laughs> so you said that it must be for students who are 18 and over. Yes. So if a high school student is 18, are they eligible as dual enrollment students? Um, yes. Um, one of the reasons we do it in the summer, uh, the second half of the summer, is to allow someone like Carly to go ahead and get through high school graduation. Uh, because, you know, I mean, usually if we if we started in May, like a lot of programs do, then she wouldn't have been able to go this past year uh, because she would have been finishing up high school. Yeah, so dual enrollment students are not eligible if they're currently dual enrolled. And it has to be that they've finished high school. They're right? eligible to apply just yes. as long as they're done with high school before we leave for the trip. Right. Yes. And are 18. Yes. <laughs> so once students are accepted, how are they advised? This is a, a very near and dear topic to me. I know you could probably answer this question better than I can because you help us with this. Uh, we do have a, um, a special canvas. It's almost like a, a course. It's a, a portal, right? Um, and all the students who are accepted into the program get put into this one portal um, and we have a ton of information, you know, which you know because you, you've put that thing together for us each year we've had it. Uh, so there's just a ton of information on there. 
Um, we have four orientations, one shortly, like within two to three weeks of the enrollment uh, or the uh, admission letters going out. We have a very quick um, orientation that's kind of like, okay, here are the next steps. Make sure you get your passport, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then in the in January, we have a second one that's a little bit more about like, okay, you know, um, airfare, you know, and, and here are some things you're going to need to know about that type of stuff. Then we have a third, and then just before um, in May, I think it is, we have our fourth and final orientation. Uh, so we, you know, in each one, we kind of like get zoom in a little bit more and more about okay, study abroad in general, get get a little bit uh, more focused, a little bit more focused. Okay, here's our here's our itinerary. Um, so we we kind of like guide students through uh, very gradually over a period of months, and I hope it works well. I would say the information we were that we received during the orientation meetings were very helpful. Like I said before, my mom had kind of helped me through the passport process, but there were other students that had never traveled on a plane ever or had never traveled internationally, and the information given was very helpful. So what do you guys do to combat reverse culture shock? So you spend three weeks in Europe, and now their students are becoming enamored with a different idea and a different view of the world. Then they go back home, and that's very difficult for a lot of people. So is the latter part of the semester spent in part to help students with that transition back to the U.S.? Um, we do talk a little bit about that. We cover that, um, because in orient, I forget if it's the second or third orientation, we do talk a little bit about culture shock and, um, the, the one model we use, yeah, how to handle it, the model we use, or, or there are like four stages. Um, and we do discuss that usually when, uh, it's possible when you come back that you might go through almost those same four stages, uh, just readjusting to, you know, the United States. Um, because there are there are some things that you get used to being different, and then you come back. Honestly, the first time uh, that I drove uh, in the UK for about a thousand miles, when I came back, I got out you know, at the end of my driveway, and I was like, "Which side of the road do I get onto?" <laughs> uh, and so there is a little bit of a mental readjustment period. Um, and luckily, on one hand, our first year we had two weeks of class, um, then three weeks over there, and only one week of class when we got back. This past year and for 2024, we have one week of class before going and then two weeks when we get back. And I kind of like that. That's a better adjustment period for the is, students. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it gives us a little bit of uh, time and classes and stuff to, to cover some of that as well. That's great. So a um, couple housekeeping questions, if you may. What are the deadlines? How much does the program cost? And... What's that process like for the student? Right now, the um, well, I guess we'll call this the early admission deadline is October 6th. I believe that is a Friday that's coming up in a few weeks here. Um, we may be able to uh, extend a little bit of that deadline in part because uh, I think this uh, we, we kind of want to have the, uh, at least the kind of late admission deadline after this podcast comes out. Right. <laughs> so we'll, we'll probably have a secondary one a couple of weeks after that. Um, the cost for this year's program is, it's not cheap. It is $5,500. Um, there are a couple things I'd like to say about that. Number one, it is as all-inclusive as we can make it. So that includes the airfare, round-trip airfare to get there and back. It includes the accommodations both at Harlexton and in London. It includes most of your food because when you're at Harlexton, you don't pay for food. You just go down to what they call the refectory, uh, one of those culture things, right, instead of a cafeteria. 
Um, is it all mushy peas and mashed potatoes or is it good food? It is actually some pretty good food. We took pictures every night because it looked that good. Nice. It, yeah, it was amazing because in 2019, some of the students complained a little bit about the Harleyson food because, you know, they didn't use as much salt or sugar, but they got some new chefs and the food was really good. Nice. Um, so where was I? You were talking about oh, yeah. the what what is all included in the in the cost. Yeah, so the airfare, the accommodations, the food, all of the uh, excursions that we do. So if we go and visit, uh, say, the Tower of London, you don't pay to get into the Tower of London because that's included into the cost. Um, books are included. Uh, I mean, literally about everything that you need is included. Uh, of course, you'd want to take a little bit of extra spending money uh, for optional excursions. Uh, souvenirs, things like souvenirs, that. Souvenirs, yeah. But um, And the second thing I wanted to say about the price, if you uh, receive the Pell Grant, you are eligible to apply for the Gilman Scholarship, which is uh, put out by the U.S. State Department and is specifically for studying abroad, and you can get awards up to $5,000 for that. Uh, we actually had two winners. We had a guy who won in the fall of um, 2022 for the 2023 program and a guy who won in the spring of 2023 for the 2023 summer program. Uh, so we now have two Gilman Scholarship winners here at FGC. Amazing. It is. It's, a, it's an amazing opportunity. And I certainly encourage you, if you receive the Pell Grant, come see us, talk to us. And uh, now the Gilman Scholarship deadline is actually October 5th um, for the fall. Uh, there is also a spring one, but, you know, you, you would need to know by then if you could pay for the program anyway, because, you know, we have to pay airfare and Harlixton, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the Gilman, that's a great thing. That is so important that the federal government gives you that opportunity because um, that's the only way you'd be able to get a scholarship for it because there's none available through the college. So being able to have that international opportunity. I won a scholarship for 2,500 bucks when I studied abroad and it was a game changer because it paid for my plane and it paid for uh, my tuition for most of it. So it was, uh, you know, it was a big deal. That was, you know, all that stuff was a lot less money than it is now. Inflation. Uh, inflation it's, a, it's a brutal thing, that's for sure. So does everybody have to fork up 5500 bucks at once, or is this divided into separate payments? This is divided into separate payments. And what we try and do is have payments due every other month. So, you know, you're not you know, putting down like $1,000 a month or something. Um, it usually comes out to be about $1,250, $1,300, something like that. And so uh, in the past, we've had to do in November, January, March, and then May 1st. But um, because we've had to shift our Harlickson dates up a little bit, uh, the final payment this year will be due on uh, April 15th. Um, is Tax the, uh, day. Maybe tax they day. could take a big old refund and, and move that toward there, huh? That would be, yeah, that'd be great. All right. Well, thank you, Carly, and thank you, Dr. Baker, so much for joining us today. If you are interested in learning more about study abroad, feel free to contact Professor Lisa Coe or Dr. Michael Baker. They will be able to get you where you need to go. Um, until next time, I'm Brandon McIntyre. Thanks. Thank you. Are you ready? <laughs>